The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Squawk Box. We are live in Westminster and Paris. And here are your headlines. Uh, yet again, UK uh, parliamentarians reject ignominiously Prime Minister May's Brexit withdrawal plan. This is now paving the way for further votes, including today's no-deal vote here in Westminster. I'm passionate about delivering the result of the referendum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I equally passionately believe that the best way to do that is to leave in an orderly way with a deal. Yeah. And I still believe that there is a majority in the House for that course of action. The pound steadies ahead of the next Brexit vote, while Asian stocks dip as European leaders warn, quote, there's no more they can do to save Britain's Brexit deal. Boeing shares drop another 6% as Europe joins a growing list of nations to ground the jet maker's 737 MAX 8 planes. But US regulators maintain there is no basis to ban the aircraft. US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says America's shale revolution will strengthen the US foreign policy agenda and tells CNBC exclusively he's confident American companies can compete with China. President Trump's made clear what we want is a fair shot. We want tariffs that are even, non-tariff barriers to be shut out. We want the rule of law, transparency and contracts. When we get those things, I am very confident that American companies will prevail. Fund manager Jeffrey Goodlack warns that stocks are still in a bear market despite their recent rebound and forecasts a U.S. recession by late 2021. So let's talk about Brexit and exactly what happens next. UK Prime Minister Theresa May has now suffered a second defeat on her Brexit deal. That's just over two weeks before Britain is due to leave the European Union. British MPs will vote later today on whether the UK should leave the EU without a deal. And if that fails, whether to extend the Article 50 deadline. How are the markets dealing with this, Karen? Well, significant uncertainty. And last night, uh, of course, uh, the vote not going Theresa May's way. What do we have? Well, a slight pickup in the trade because yesterday we'd seen quite a huge gyration around the trade, 132 roughly, where we traded up to a little bit higher at points earlier in the day and optimism that maybe Theresa May might have some support until it seemed that her legally binding changes to the backstop were not legal at all. So investors really pulling the trade back. What do we have then on the low side? We've been right back about 130.17. And you can see this morning we're perched higher than the lows at 130.97, 96 roughly. So just shy of the 131 handle, but well and truly off the highs where we scaled almost to, to 133 at one point in, in the past week. So it's been quite a range for investors trying to trade sterling dollar. Currently this morning we are tracking up less than two tenths of a percent. 
Euro is weakening versus sterling by the same measure, roughly two tenths of a percent. Sterling gaining a little bit versus the Japanese yen, only about a tenth of a percent, 145.77. And sterling is climbing at a fraction versus the Swiss, the safe haven trades. So uh, I think investors are still watching this very closely with another vote in Westminster today. Let me take you to what we're seeing in the Asian markets. We have seen a pullback for many of these key indices. The Japanese stock market trading down by more than 200 points, or about 1%, leading the fall. Some domestic machinery orders there, just again uh, casting doubt on the, the size of any economic pace that we're seeing from many of these major global markets this year. So the fall in January in these machinery orders, the fastest pace in four months. Hong Kong market's down about 100 points, or four-tenths of a percent. Just dipping into the red now for China stocks down by two points, and we are trading down by about a, almost a quarter of a percent on the Australian market. The opening calls in Europe ahead of another key Brexit day. We are marching into the red right across the boards by a modest amount so far before the market opens. So it seems that investors did want some more certainty around Brexit. We didn't get it in session yesterday as uh, we had the, the Westminster evening last night. And Theresa May, a nice. uh, resounding defeat again. Yeah, it, isn't it interesting? I mean, Steve started off the week talking about the pound and how we've been in this range. But pretty much at the moment, 130 is where the pound settles when there is near, no clear sense of direction. And if we get an opportunity just to roll that back, that wall, and have a look at uh, the pound sterling, Quite frankly, the markets are bemused. They've traded to a standstill, and we are back at that 130 level as far as the pound sterling is concerned. Um, just on the Brexit timeline, um, obviously, this could be quite confusing trying to figure out exactly what comes next here. So let me just skip briefly along this wall and just explain. So the meaningful vote was taken. Uh, that was a fail for the Prime Minister. What happens today? That's the no deal vote. So that's a vote on whether MPs want to prevent there being a no deal Brexit. If that should uh, um, uh, uh, then take place, we, we move on. Uh, if there is a fail on that, we then vote uh, on a Brexit delay ultimately. And then the question is whether uh, we get the extension. And of course, there is another party involved in the negotiation. Uh, that's the EU. Um, if there is a fail on that bid to get an extension over the next fortnight, then we would head towards a no deal Brexit. Um, let's kick the story out though to Steve who's much closer to Westminster and I think has a real sense on the ground of which way this is likely to go today. Steve. What you just did was manful. You just tried to look at a chronology where, of course, everyone knows there is no chronology. It's absolutely bemusing. The good thing is now I could say anything, and it's just as possible as every other scenario. But I think we take one step back because some of our viewers may not tune in since Squawk Box yesterday, uh, avid as they are watching us, but not everything else necessarily. So. Basically, 24 hours ago, we thought Mrs. May had got a couple of concessions from Strasbourg as well. Then everybody, as we were explaining here uh, on the morning on Scorebox, were waiting to hear what Jeffrey Cox, the chief legal officer, one of her negotiators as well, uh, the attorney general, had to say about the legal changes to whether Britain could get out of this backstop, which keeps Northern Ireland in the customs union, uh, were there to be no uh, improvement in or trade deal at the end of the transition period. So when his uh, quite damning verdict came, and of course, as we said on Scorebox, 
Starks. We got hints of this uh, throughout the morning from Sammy Wilson uh, and from one government minister who said to me he didn't like the look of it as well. Uh, basically, the Attorney General said nothing had changed, and which was then the death knell, as we, we thought it might be, to be fair, a couple of hours before uh, the market cottoned onto this, uh, would be the death knell uh, for Mrs May's withdrawal bill, her second meaningful vote. And, and, and as it happened, she did lose ignominiously, although we have to give her credit. It wasn't a record defeat. That was what she had on January the 15th. This was only the fourth worst defeat in modern political history. So last time she lost by 230 votes, this time she lost by 149 votes. Uh, and then, of course, we had the Prime Minister getting up uh, and, of course, and explaining throughout the debate before that. And I listened to the entire debate yesterday and it was painful to listen to a Prime Minister clearly crestfallen, clearly defeated and in very ill health as well. She could barely speak, as we heard from our clips there. In fact, let's listen in to the Prime Minister talking about one of the next stages. And I'll talk you through those stages uh, in a little bit more detail. But just listen to the Prime Minister's voice when she's trying to explain what the parliamentarians have to offer the EU in terms of an extension. If the House votes for an extension, the government will seek to agree that extension with the EU and bring forward the necessary legislation to change the exit date commensurate with that extension. But let me be clear. Voting against leaving without a deal and for an extension does not solve the problems we face. The EU... The EU will want to know what use we mean to make of such an extension. And this House will have to answer that question. Does it wish to revoke Article 50? Does it want to hold a second referendum? And that was after she'd lost the vote beforehand. She was giving way to parliamentarians for about a two hour period as uh, she basically tried to rest her voice in between uh, very short speeches as well. So look, she lost her vote very badly yesterday. Will there be an MV3 as they call it, a meaningful vote three? Uh, that seems like a very slim possibility. So lots of things are gonna happen in the next 24 hours and today especially. So let me run you through that. There's a cabinet minister's meeting uh, early today as well. Is she gonna come under press to resign from some people? Because she can't be forced out now, as we know. Uh, at that cabinet minister's meeting. That could be very interesting as the Remainer cabinet ministers and the Brexiteer um, ministers just pour over the ashes of what happened yesterday. Uh, then we're gonna get prime minister's question times again. Again, it's gonna be very, very tough for the prime minister to get through. Then we get a spring statement uh, from Mr. Hammond who would have been able to say, look, we've got all this spare cash. The OBR has given me all this spare cash in their estimates and what have you. This is what I'm gonna do with it. But he's not gonna do that now because we don't know what's going on next Brexit wise. And then we get this um, debate and vote on the government motion. It's a government motion which is given the, her own MPs, the Tory MPs, a free vote. So the government can't actually lose this one. So that's something, I suppose. Uh, a free vote uh, on, on whether to go for a no-deal Brexit or, or not have a no-deal Brexit and take that off the table. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Let's say the MPs, and we think this is going to happen today, say, no, we don't want a no-deal Brexit, despite the fact that some extremes on both parties will be quite happy with that, especially, of course, the ERG or certain members of the ERG. So let's say that's taken off the table. No-deal Brexit is no, no longer the defeat fault position. It can't happen, but it can happen because then we get the next vote tomorrow. And this is about an extension. Uh, we're going to ask the EU potentially for an extension. And again, that one could probably go through. 
But then you could turn around and say, we're only going to give you an extension if you tell us for how long and what you're going to do with it in the meantime. We're not just going to give you one willy-nilly, so to speak, unless you tell us how you're going to find some form of majority, some form of consensus uh, in Parliament to give us something to work with as well. Because, of course, the Europeans uh, have two scenarios in terms of an extension. Do they try and give the British an extension which finishes just before the European parliamentary elections or there or thereabouts, which is the 23rd to the 26th of May? Or is it a much longer extension, in which case the British have to field uh, MEP candidates for the European Parliament going forward? And this gets way more complicated as well. So although the British parliamentarians today could take no deal off the table from their point of view, that doesn't mean to say, and this is a very important point, which I don't know if enough people have said, doesn't mean to say the Europeans will accept this and say, OK, you can have your extension because you guys are going to sort something out. And by the way, one more point for you as well. Where would the consensus be from British parliamentarians? And this is the, perhaps the biggest question of the moment. What could get through as a Brexit deal? And it seems the only likely scenario at the moment is a softer form of Brexit. Now, whether that's a Norway plus, some form of customs union, some form of customs union plus single market as well, that remains to be seen. And don't forget, we heard from Jeremy Corbyn there, he still wants a general election. He still wants to get his hands on the keys to number 10 as well. And there are those within his party who are forcing him to a second referendum stance. So back to my original point where I came in, all options still on the table. I hope that's clear. I don't think it is clear, but that's the best I can do. Back to you both. Steve, thank you very much. I don't think it is all that clear to the audience, is it? I mean, it's such a complex uh, road that we're now travelling. Another vote tonight. And it feels to me like there could be a lot of tactical voting around the outcome. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I think it, it, is, it is baffling, uh, not so much what happens next, because I think if you walk through it slowly, you do understand uh, which direction we're headed in. But it's baffling that we've got to this position mm. uh, so many years after the initial vote was taken. And I think that um, there will be a lot of anger across the country about the potential now for a second referendum. You heard the Prime Minister say that. It was something that appeared to be off the table. We already had one clear outcome in the referendum. I think uh, nothing will enrage the British population more than having to vote a second time round on the same subject. Do you think that, was, that comment was made by the Prime Minister to try and trigger a response from the Brexiteers? Because, I mean, she's delivered a, a second deal, a second attempt to try and get a Brexit deal so the UK does leave Europe. However, the Brexiteers did not go for it. Now, the real possibility is that the Remainers do have the day. So do you think it was a pointed comment to say, well, this is your last chance to, to make Brexit happen or a second referendum is exactly the door that you were opening the prospect to? Yes, I think it was definitely designed as a jab towards the Brexiteers to point out to them that now that they have voted against her a second time round, there is always still the possibility on the table that we do not leave. That remains um, perhaps an outlier at this point, but it's as likely as uh, you know a second referendum, I would suggest, at this stage. Well, down to quite ironic situations where you have Remainers voting on a Brexit deal to make it happen, and then Brexiteers not voting on the deal to allow Brexit to happen. You saw some of the reactions last night as people came out of the House after voting. But uh, let's just push on to the European reaction. May's defeat has significantly increased the likelihood of a no-deal Brexit, the EU has said. 
coordinated communiques from the offices of the European Council President Donald Tusk and European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker said Brussels had done all that was possible to reach an agreement. Well, let's get out to Sylvia for more in Brussels. Sylvia, there's been a lot of stewing around whether it would be right to replace Theresa May at this point, and that's another prospect that has opened up, whether we would be facing a challenge to her leadership, a snap election, because some say, well, Europe is not willing to negotiate any further with, with Theresa May, or is it just the UK they're not willing to negotiate further with? So give us the European perspective. Well, what the Europeans have said is that there's nothing else they, they can do. We've heard that from Michel Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator. We also heard the same from the president of the European Council, Donald Tusk. And so the message here last night was very clear. The EU is not going to make extra proposals and the deal that's on the table is the final deal. Now, of course, we also heard Barnier saying last night that if there is a solution to the current impasse that has to be found in London, not in Brussels. And we're getting closer and closer to the scheduled departure date. And of course, Barnier is worried about no deal preparations. And he said that it's more important than never to focus on that. I also heard, had the chance to speak to the Maltese finance minister here yesterday, and he said that the EU is in an awkward position. Let's listen in. The EU um, uh, is in an awkward position. It, it doesn't want to interfere with, with the sovereign de uh, decision of a country, of a member state, an important one. <clears throat> of course, it has shown from the very beginning that it disagrees completely, that it considers it, it's tragic for the people. It will affect the EU as well negatively, uh, perhaps over the longer term. But um, what can it do? So it's, it's, it's standing in a very uh, special now that is very close to the cliff, so to speak. Um, that brinkmanship is, is, is a result of that kind of uh, way they've gone. So the Maltese finance minister there, last night, Barnier also made the point that uh, if there is no approval for the for the withdrawal, uh, withdrawal agreement, I should say, then there's not going to be a transition period. That was very clear from Barnier. He's going to be speaking later today in the European Parliament, and I'll be monitoring his remarks and keeping you updated. Sylvia, thank you very much. Well, let's broaden out the conversation. Joining us now around the studio set is Bilal Hafiz, who is Global Head of Developed Market Strategy at Nomura. Bilal, nice to see you this morning. Thank you for joining us. The pound fortunes. Let's get into the ride that we have seen. They're right up to almost 133 in the past week and right back down to 130. So I'm describing it as a wild ride. But I'm not sure I would even agree, given all the wild scenarios we still have on the table. It feels like pound has, has weathered the storm fairly well. You know, I'd agree. In fact, if you look over the past six, seven months and the way the pound's behaved, you would not have thought that uh, we're having Brexit negotiations and all this turmoil. So FX markets are basically telling you that uh, we've already sort of priced a lot of uncertainty and it's just not sure what to do. So it's just, it's, it's just waiting for some kind of outcome to happen. You have to remember that the pound is very weak. Um, it's weakened a lot, you know, since the, the referendum um, uh, a few years ago. And so we're trading at very undervalued levels. Uh, so it's really now sort of seeing, you know, what, what the outcome would be. Um, what's the dollar angle to this? Because we obviously had that weaker than expected inflation print overnight, which obviously takes some of the pressure off Jay Powell. But it also raises interesting questions about what yield advantage you're going to continue to enjoy on dollar-based assets. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the big reasons the dollar did well last year was the, pro- you know, the combination of strong U.S. growth, uh, especially versus the rest of the world, and and higher U.S. rates. And all of that's changed. You know, we had the Fed pivot. Now we're seeing some loss of momentum in uh, U.S. growth. It looks like Q1 growth in the U.S. could be as low as one percent quarter on quarter. And remember, a year ago it was close to four percent. And now if inflation has peaked and is starting to head down, then that really uh, changes the calculus for the Fed and raises the possibility of a of a cut. Uh, sometime next year. What do you think that now means for ownership of risk assets at this point, given that we are seeing underlying economic data weakening, but the inflation print is going to give the Fed some more room? Yeah, it's always a, it's always a tricky balance for markets. Uh, the, the thing I would say is that on balance, you know, the combination of all the key central banks lowering interest rates or be, becoming more dovish, the ECB, the PBOC, the BOJ, the Fed, that should be supportive for risk-risk markets. And then on top of that, we have seen some stabilization in European data. It looks like the Chinese are trying to stabilize their economy. And as long as the US doesn't tip into recession, which I don't think is the case for this year, then that should generally be positive for uh, risk markets as a whole. More immediately, we've got a couple of big votes in Westminster, one tonight around no deal Brexit. How market moving do you think the vote will be tonight versus say tomorrow night, if we, uh, depending on the outcome, whether there's a vote on an extension to the agreement? where do you see the big parameters that could move the pound trade? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a good you know good question. I think most people in markets are expecting uh, sort of the No Deal possibility to be voted out uh, to fail tonight, and then the most people are expecting an extension to happen tomorrow. So I think market won't necessarily react too much to today's votes or even tomorrow's vote. I think the critical thing will be the EU's reaction to tomorrow's vote. And uh, you know, if the EU was to say, look we're not going to allow an extension, then the pound would react very strongly. It would fall. It would fall. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah Steve, yeah. come on in. Yeah, I was just going to say, good morning, Billy. But I, I think there's a huge arrogance amongst many people that think well, after this vote today, no deal's gone. Well, we still don't know two things. And I think these are very important nuances that, the, that our viewers and traders need to know. One, the government's default position is still no deal. Now, even if many, um, it is taken off the table, we need to see the motions going forward today, whether actually the government's default position of a no deal Brexit, if her withdrawal bill is voted down, which it has been, uh, is taken away as well. So we need to see if that's gone as default position as well from the British side. But also, I'm getting the impression that there's a hardening of views and actually a lot more no deal planning from the European point of view. View. And this no guarantee at all that even if parliamentarians here vote for an extension tomorrow, that the Europeans are going to play ball. They may well play hardball and just say, do you know what, we're going to up our planning for no deal and just, just let's get on, done with this by March 29th, exasperated by British parliamentarians. I think no deal could very much still be on the table, even if a no deal is voted down here today. No, I'd, I'd agree. I think it's a very valid point to raise that. And I think there is this inbuilt optimism amongst market participants like myself that not, no deal is off the table. Um, and uh, as you rightly point out, the EU's response could be much more you know, aggressive than what people in the market think. And, and if you do look at the, the so-called sort of midnight deal that Theresa May uh, had with the European Union, the EU were very clear to say this is the last ditch attempt at trying to uh, refine the deal. After this, there's no more negotiation. So it does raise a possibility for no deal. The one thing I would say, though, is that if you look at the voting patterns of all the votes we've had in Parliament so far, you know, it does seem like the there's only a minority of parliamentarians that support a no-deal outcome. I think there's more parliamentarians that support Theresa May's deal. The, the trouble is that there isn't a majority that support Theresa May's deal. Um, so, so at this stage, in my view, I, I still think that the no-deal outcome is still, is still fairly low, uh, notwithstanding the, 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 the real risk that could, uh, could happen. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.